Amen. I just want us to take a few minutes to just pray in the spirit while sitting on our seats. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Me pandish kapali safari andafana monde predadishte. Manakasitali embrano sonteli vedashatali da bakatali sefenemendo. Prete selevina mante kedrano santali predoshatali da dose televenemende. Brana Kashtila Vando Prenemen Site Libre Gedoshanamande. Thank you, Father, because the entrance of your word bringeth light and understanding to the simple. Lemenente Libedo Shida Kadibredo Sante Lifrenema Jande. E Paragada Basante Librenemento Pregedishte Liga da Hasataya Dambe. Plenoste Site Libredo Shata Liberonte Keledesha. Lord, as we go into your word today, we thank you because you open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. In the name of Jesus, Lita Manishte. Thank you, Father, because uh, you minister to us by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we receive uh, your word with meekness. And we give you glory, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. How many of us are excited to be in church this morning? You are excited about another opportunity to, you know, listen to God's word, to hear God's word. Amen. God's word is our joy. Hallelujah. Amen. It's the reason why we are here. We are gathered around the word. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Can you remind me what um, our theme for the year has been? Planted. Beautiful. We've been considering that theme, planted. And um, Pastor has done various teachings, some even in a series, helping us to understand what it means to be planted. And to be planted basically means to be established in the new life that we have received. It means to be established in the faith. Hallelujah. It means to be rooted, to be grounded in the faith that we have come into. Hallelujah. Amen. And um, there's something that really stands out in scriptures to me. And that's the fact that the scriptures in so many instances and in so many places likens the children of God to trees. You come across scripture that tells you that the righteous is like a palm tree. You hear scriptures that says the righteous one is, um, the man that is, is righteous is like the cedar of Lebanon, you know, lightening the children of God to trees. Someone also tells us that, you know, that the man who studies God's word day and night is like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. So in many places, you see the Bible lightening the children of God. And in, in this case, I can say believers, you know, passing through the cross and crossing into the New Testament, lightening believers, you know, to trees. And one thing you will realize about trees is that trees don't move around. Have you, anybody, you've come across a tree moving around or you went to a spot, you saw a tree there and then some days later, the tree had moved to another spot, except it was transplanted. Am I right? For those that um, studied agriculture or something, except maybe that tree or that plant was rooted up and maybe 
planted elsewhere, but trees don't move around. And I believe there's a reason why the Bible likens us to trees. Trees as, you know, they stay in a place so that they can take root deep down into the soil and draw their nourishment, draw their life source, you know, from that place where they are planted. And it is the same thing of believers. It is the same thing of the new creation man. It is important that we are planted, that we take root deep down into God, take deep root into his word. Amen. So that we can constantly draw our life source from him. You see, when we got saved, amen, I, I feel like there's a lot of distraction around. Please, can we, if there are things we need to do, please let's just quickly do it and settle down. It can be a bit distracting. Hallelujah. Amen. So I was talking about believers being likened to trees hallelujah and that the reason is because we're expected to take deep roots down into god take deep roots down into the things of god into the word of god and draw our nourishment from there draw our life source from there when we got saved you see we didn't get saved and we were severed from god to live on our own and to run on our own no in other words, we were connected to God. Hallelujah. We were plugged into God. The same way a tree that is planted is plugged into that soil. The same way we are plugged into God to constantly derive our nourishment and our life source from him. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's why the Bible, you know, likens us to trees. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And if we remember, you know, the several teachings that pastor has taken, he has talked a lot about establishment in the divine life, which is what being planted means. Being established in the divine life, he has gone through the series of the place or the role of the word of God in establishing us in the newness of life. We've looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in establishing us in the newness of life. I believe we can all remember these teachings. Am I right? Or do I have something that probably are in my own notes and maybe you did not have in your own notes? Amen. You know, we talked about the place of the word and in the place of the word, he talked about our identity, our realities, our responsibilities. Some of the things we considered under our identity, we did a series, the sons of God. How many of us remember? It is well. Don't worry. When you get home, go and flip through your, your notes again. I remember we did a series, the sons of God. Um, we did another series, established in the faith, established in the blessing. If you can't remember, go back to your notes, you know, and then, um, we also did a series on confessions, you know, which we did recently and then the testimony in the blood and all of that. And all of this, you know, um, coming together to establish us in this new life that we have received. You see, when a, an unbeliever, the greatest need of an unbeliever is salvation. Amen. Any believer, you, uh, unbeliever you see out there, his greatest need is salvation. But the greatest need of a believer is to be established in the new life that he has received. That's your priority. Amen. Establishment in the new life that you have received. And that's what we've been considering from the beginning of the year. Hallelujah. And um, we just want to draw all these things together. And pastor has asked me to actually take this session to um, give practical insights, you know, to how we can as individuals and on our own begin to really make use of these things in our own closets. Hallelujah. There's a series, you know, when I was preparing this message, there was a series I was wishing pastor also um, took, which is the role of the church in establishing the believer in the newness of life. But I think I'll just touch on one or two things about it because 
a lot of times I feel like believers don't really understand um, the role of the church in their lives. Amen. I feel like we don't really understand that. And so many times, you know, we come to church and we think that that is all there is. In fact, for some people, their only contact with God's word is in church. When the word is being read, their only contact with prayer is in church. Or maybe when one issue or another comes up at home, they may look for one five minutes or ten minutes, you know, to take time to pray. But beyond that, there is no life, you know, outside of what they do in church nothing else and that is not what god has called us to in fact if that is all there is to your life you cannot be established in the newness of life amen there is no establishment because god has called us to a personal and intimate walk with him amen he has called us to take time to you know stay with him learn of him personally and take deep roots down in his word but if all the contact you are making with God's word, with prayer, is when you come to church, then you cannot be established in the faith. You cannot be established in the newness of life. The role of the church is, you see, God has given the church so that we can come together and sharpen one another. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why the church has been established, so that we can come together, fellowship together, sharpen one another. And I think we should just quickly read from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the, body, where the Bible talks about the church having um, so many parts. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let us read from verse 14. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God hath set the members every one of them in the body as it had pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble and necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, you know, those that work miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues and the likes but what this passage of scripture is telling us is that we are all members of the body of christ and we are members in particular amen we all bring our supply on board 
Amen. Church is not a place where there's one man performing. Amen. It's not a celebrity thing where, you know, pastor is here or I'm here or there's one man performing and then every other person is a spectator. You're just watching what he's doing or listening or you've just come to receive your own supply. No. We are all members in particular. Let us go to Ephesians 4 and see something else there. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read from verse 11. And, he, and it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I will read verse 16 again. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Hallelujah. I want you to say in the measure of every part. In the measure of every part. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Hallelujah. Now this scripture is telling us that every part of the body has something to supply. Amen. Nifemi, you have something to supply. Amen. You have something to supply, Emmanuel. Mofe, you have something to supply because God has supernaturally equipped every one of us. And that's why in that 1 Corinthians 12 that we read, if you read from the beginning, you see the Bible talking about spiritual gifts. And every one of us has been given spiritual gifts as the spirit wills. Amen. This is our spiritual equipment that when we come together, amen. You can imagine if I'm leading worship and during worship, there is word of knowledge. There is somebody here, the spirit of God is saying this and the person is being ministered to. Hallelujah. Bro, Yeshua is on the keyboard. As it begins to roll on the keyboard, word of wisdom comes and it begins to declare it. And someone out there is blessed. Amen. It's all beautiful that, you know, when we come together, there are the equipments to set up. There's the keyboard to play. There are, there are the chairs to arrange and all of that. But that is not the primary reason why we are gathered. In fact, that is not our primary responsibility in church. Our primary responsibility in church is our spiritual supply. Amen. That's our primary responsibility as believers. So ask yourself, what have I been supplying? Our primary responsibility is our spiritual supply. And you see, in your privacy, in your closet, if you do not have a walk with God, if you do not spend time meditating, reading, studying, praying, there will be no supply on your inside. 
Amen. And that's why you see sometimes when you see people that, now I'm not saying there are no um, low moments that maybe people may need, you know, um, to be refreshed or people may need to be strengthened by other believers. But if you're always dragging yourself to church, if every time you're coming, you're just dragging yourself, we have come again. You're not coming with any supply. And so we must understand why God has instituted the church. He has instituted the church that we strengthen one another. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Amen. There's a supply that is on your inside. There's a supply that is on your inside. There's a supernatural equipment that God has put on your inside. Amen. And when we come together like this, we all come together with our supplies. Amen. Imagine in this room, if this room were dark and there's just one candle. There are 20 candles, all right, but 19 candles are not lighted. And only one candle is lighted. Amen. How much light will it give? Amen. It's going to be limited. You see, what one man can do alone, what the pastor alone, standing here and preaching, what he can do alone, cannot be compared to what the body of Christ can do when we all rise up and take our rightful place. Amen. When we all come, we are lighted. We are all fired up. Amen. We are all coming with our supplies. Someone is leading worship and people are falling under the anointing. Amen. Hallelujah. Hearts are fired up for God. Amen. We are ministering the word. People's hearts are being refreshed. Amen. Hallelujah. You are rolling on the keyboard. Lives are being touched. Someone is sitting back there and just you rolling on the keyboard alone is ministering to them. Amen. That is our spiritual supply. That there's something you are coming to supply to the other person. You don't see yourself as an insignificant member of the body of Christ. No, we are all members in particular. Amen. We are all members in particular. We have a role to play. We have a part to play. And that is why God has established us. That we are strengthening one another. Amen. Let's read some scripture that, that, that also tells us that. I'm still going to go into the practical aspect. But I feel that it is important for us to, to understand why church. So that we don't just feel like, okay, everything about the faith, everything about the newness of life is what we do in church. No. The church is a training ground. Amen. It's a place where you even sharpen the giftings and the virtues that God has put on your inside. Amen. It's easier for someone in church to say, oh, I'm feeling headache. And you're like, oh, let me pray for you. Amen. And you pray for the person. The person is healed. There's boldness to do the same thing out there. Amen. So it's a training ground where you sharpen your tools. Amen. You sharpen your equipment so that when you go out there, you are much more effective. Have you ever asked yourself why soldiers are put together in a barrack? Amen. You know, in that barrack, it's not like they are feasting and they are enjoying. No. They are undergoing rigorous training. Amen. But the major task and the major responsibility they have to do is not within that barrack. It is not. Their major responsibility is when there's chaos out there, when there's war out there. And that's why if you go around, you won't, of course, you Nigerian police, you'll see them around. This is Nigeria. You see Nigerian police, they will mount their roadblocks, collect 5-5 five, five naira from you and 10-10 ten, ten naira and the likes. But in, um, in developed nations, it is not so. You don't see their police just hanging all around, especially the military. You don't see the army outside in any country. When you see the army outside, there is something going on. Yeah. Even if you've not heard any news, once you, if you see army vehicles, go, there's something going on. Yeah. Because they're in their barracks, they are what they are training constantly. They bring out their armory, they clean it, 
they test it, they are always ready. So that when there is anything, they release them. And they are excited to go. If you ever relate with a military man, they will tell you that, man, you know, when people hear of war or chaos, there's a way civilians, there's a way your heart is like, hey, what's going on? These guys are excited. Hallelujah. They're excited. That's what they've been training. For. Sometimes for years, they are within those barracks. And they are not doing anything with their training. So when there's a call, or more, they are ready. They are excited. And that's why they can look in your face and say, you bloody civil. And they will you know, they, they've been waiting for that day. They've been waiting to exercise that authority, that power and that training they've been given. Hallelujah. How much more the church of God. The church is a training ground for us. Amen. You come here, we whet your appetite so that you can go back into your closet and seek for more. Amen. You are being taught the word. Yeah, when you are taught the word, you get back into your closet and there should be hunger for more. Amen. You should want to study the word more. You should want to read more. Amen. We take time to pray here. It's not just so that, oh, that is all there is to your prayer life. But you get back, it's supposed to whet your appetite so that when you get back into your closet, you're already fired up, you're already charged up, and you go in that same strength. Hallelujah. And you get back into your room, you know, we do tongue in sprees here. You get back to your room and you're like, no, I'm not going to let this fire go out. You keep putting wood to the fire. Hallelujah. That's the reason for the church. Amen. So the church is not all there is to your faith life. If you have ever thought that, oh, and when I come to church, that is all God is. Yes, God is pleased when we come together to worship together, to fellowship together, to learn of one another. It pleases the heart of God. Amen. But that is only a tip of the iceberg. Amen. We have been called to God himself. God wants us to know him for, you know, to know him for ourselves. He wants us in our closet to get into the Bible. Meditate. Read God's word for yourself. Get into the place of prayer for yourself. Develop a personal and an intimate walk with God. That is what we have been called to. Hallelujah. Let us quickly see Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. From verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. It says, let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. Amen. That is what the church is for. We are provoking one another. Hallelujah. Unto love and good works. Amen. We are rubbing off on one another. We are strengthening one another. We are edifying one another. Hallelujah. And that's why your time in church should be a period of edification. Amen. You should be edified. You should be fired up. Amen. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so, so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Hallelujah. Let us see Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today 
lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It says to exhort one another daily. Hallelujah. That's what we are meant to do as believers. So please never see yourselves that, oh, I'm just a young believer. I do not know anything yet. No. Hallelujah. There are things that God has deposited in you. Graces, giftings, virtue. It might not have been as well developed as that of others, but you can start from where you are. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. The church of God is supernatural. Amen. We have supernatural equipments. Don't just think it's all about the seats and the chairs. No. It's a supernatural ministry. Hallelujah. Amen. You, can, you might not even have to stand here and hold the mic. It could be after service. You have a word for someone. Amen. You just have it and you are encouraging the person. And the person says, wow. I've been going through this. I've been going through this. That word you just shared to me, it just ministered to me. Amen. So in church, we all bring our supplies. Hallelujah. And we all edify one another. Glory to Jesus. Amen. So I would um, quickly go into the practical insights because that's what pastor said we should talk about. But I just felt it's necessary to address this. So we don't just think, oh, what we do here in church is all about the life of a believer. No. It's to prepare you. It's to train you for what you're supposed to be doing in your own personal closet. To strengthen you and to fire you up. And to prepare you, you know, to go into your closet and do those same things. Like we take confessions here. Amen. How many of you take confessions in your closets? Amen. You do it cons consistently. Yeah, that's why we do it. So that you know how to do it. Some people, you tell some people, oh, I don't know how to take confessions. I don't know how to write out confessions. When we do it in church, it's so that you know how to do it in your closet. And you should do it much more in your closet. You should pray much more in your private time. You should study the word much more in your private time. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So you see, pastor has been teaching us on meditation. He has been teaching us on um, praying in tongues. He's been teaching us on confessions and a lot of teachings that we, are, we have had all through the year. And I'm not going to go into those things again because if we flip through our notes, all of those things are there. Amen. And I term all of those things, you know, like they are like two kits for your establishment. If, if well, I know it doesn't really um, obtain in this environment, but there are certain environments you go that most of the things you do, it's a DIY thing, do it yourself thing. Amen. Because if you want to pay for it, it's going to be very expensive. Take, for example, painting your house. Yeah, you can just get a painter to come and paint and then you pay something very little. But there are some environments that by the time you hear how much they want to bill you, you just go and download a video on YouTube, watch it, you know, buy the equipment you need and just do your painting yourself. Or maybe you want to put up a wallpaper or certain little things or maybe even coupling. Maybe you buy um, a TV, a fan or something you need to couple, you know. Those are do-it-yourself things that you could, you could go through the manual or get a video and watch, you know, and just do it yourself. And if you're going to do those things, you might need to get some tools that you need, you know, to couple things and all of that and if, even if you look at most people that drive cars they have toolkits am i right do you have a toolkit in your car that you know it just has some basic things that if anything goes wrong with the car you can quickly bring out it sometimes has spanners pliers i don't know the name of but i know that a number of people have these toolkits you know um in their cars and this is like the toolkit for your establishment amen reading hearing meditation tongues confession 
these are like the toolkits. If you are not engaging these things, there is no how you are going to be established in the newness of life. And there is no how you are going to take advantage of all that is available to you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm not going to um, go, you know, into the details of meditations, you know, the reason why we have to give attention to God's word, the reason why we have to take our confessions. No, those teachings are already there. You can get the messages, you know, so that you can have access to them, you know, um, moment by moment. But I'll just go into the practical um, aspects now. I said something earlier that the greatest need of an unbeliever is salvation. But the greatest need of a believer is renewing the mind. Hallelujah. That is going to be our greatest need on this side of eternity. Until Jesus returns, we will keep renewing our mind. Amen. It's not going to get to a stage that you are going to say, Oh, my mind is now fully renewed. No. We are going to keep renewing our mind. Hallelujah. Until the return of Jesus. Amen. And basically, what does it mean to renew the mind? Hallelujah. It basically means to unlearn certain things. Amen that have to do with the old life and learn new things that have to do with the new life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There are certain things that have become habits from the old life. Amen. That we need to unlearn. There are certain ways of thinking, certain ways of seeing things that we need to unlearn. Hallelujah. And we begin to we need to begin to learn um, the things that have to do with the new life that we have received. Hallelujah. Amen. We need to begin to learn God's ways. We need to begin to see from God's perspective. Hallelujah. That's what it means to renew your mind. So there's no, it's not like it's one big mystery out there, you know, because sometimes you meet some people and they're like, ah, do you know about renewing your mind? Yes. It is learning about this new life that we've come into. Hallelujah. So when we're talking about righteousness, amen. When we're talking about holiness, when we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, that is what it is. You are learning of this new life that you have received. And as you keep learning, you are transformed from one level of glory to another. Hallelujah. But how do we engage these things? Yes, when we come to church, when we sit under the ministration of God's word, you see, God's word comes to us. Hallelujah. And um, we are transformed. Yes, God's word comes to us. We receive our miracles. We receive our healings. Amen. But beyond that, hallelujah, there's so much more we can still tap into. Glory to Jesus. So what do we do or how can we set out, you know, in our own closets? We've had people come to us and say, ah, pastor, I don't know. I've not been studying. I've not been praying. I don't even know how to go about it. For some people, it's about consistency. You know, they try today, then tomorrow. It seems like they know that these are the things. How many of you know here that you should be praying in your own personal lives? You know you should be studying the word. Let me see your hands. You know you should be taking confessions. Amen. And you know you should be doing it consistently. More like daily. Hallelujah. What's the prescription of the scriptures? The prescription of the scriptures is day and night. Hallelujah. What does it mean? It doesn't mean um, day in the morning. You have your quiet time. Then in the night <laughs> you have your night devotion. That is not what it means. When it says day and night it means that God's word must be your preoccupation. Hallelujah. The things of God must be your preoccupation 24 hours. Amen. And when we talk about preoccupation, we're talking about it should, your mind should be engaged in it. Your mind should be enveloped in the things of God. Your mind should be engulfed, absorbed 
permit me to use all of those words in the things of God. It doesn't mean you are not going about your daily duties. Yes, you are. There are times I'm in the hospital, I'm consulting with patients. Amen. The patient is done and is gone and I'm worshipping before the next patient comes in. Maybe they are still working with the folder and I'm just like, Father, I thank you. I bless you because your spirit is at work within me. Sometimes I'm even meditating on something that has to do with my job. That Lord, I'm not just limited to my natural knowledge. That supernaturally I know what to do for people. I know how to counsel them. I know how to help them get better in their health. I'm still engaging that divine life even as I'm carrying on, you know, the natural things that I have to do. Amen. Are you following me? So we all know that we should do these things, but how many of us are doing it consistently? Amen. Okay. How many of us sometimes we do it consistently? Sometimes it's consistent, maybe for like 2 weeks or 3 weeks, then for some people it's two or three days and then <laughs> it's almost like there's this mountain experience and then there's the, is it the valley or wilderness experience again it just feels like ah why is everything just so dry it just seems like nothing is happening around here hallelujah but I'll just give us practical insights hallelujah to help us you know give attention to God's word and give attention to every other thing that we need to give attention to sorry I, I need to pack my hair it's disturbing me I don't mind if someone has something that I thought it will stay just wrapping it up like that. If Maybe you can remove the one on Gloria's hair and give it to me so that I'll just hold it in place. Thank you. Nifemi, you can help me with that. I think there's a band on Gloria's hair. You can just give it to me. Thank you. So the first thing I'll be talking about is that it is important that we see the need. Hallelujah. Amen. You can help me do it. It's important that we see the need. The thing is, if we don't see the need for it, we will not do it. Amen. Except you know the importance of a thing. You will not attach value to it and you will not go for it. Amen. Hallelujah. If someone brings a new device into this place that you've never seen before, and the person, you might not pay much attention to it, but if the person tells you what that device can do, what that device can accomplish, you'll become more interested in it. Am I right? And if the person wants to give it to you, you'll be glad to have it. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's the same way it is. If you don't know what meditation, what confession, what it will do for you, you'll be indifferent about it. Hallelujah. But like I said, I'm not going to go into the teaching of it. Amen. So if you know somewhere in your heart, you still feel like it's optional. If I want to, I can. And if, if I don't want to, I don't have to. It means you don't know the importance of it. You don't know the value. You don't know what it does for you. Amen. That means you should go get the messages and listen to them because time will not permit me to go into that. Hallelujah. Amen. But the summary of it that I'm going to give you is that, look, if you don't give attention to these things that we have said, I've said that the toolkit for your establishment is hearing God's word, reading God's word, studying God's word, meditation, confession, praying in tongues. Those are the things in your toolkit. Amen. And if you're not going to give attention to these things, you're not going to be established. Amen. In this life that we're talking about. And if you, if you see, how many of you have seen trees that are planted in arid places where the soil is not rich, where there's not much water? Have you seen trees like that? Do you see them flourishing? Do such trees flourish? Sometimes there are even no leaves on those trees. Even if it manages to have leaves, it won't have fruits. It won't bear fruits during the fruiting season. Amen. But you know, there are these um, plants that we call evergreen plants. 
Have you ever heard it? Maybe when you were doing you did agriculture now. And here now, there are plants we call ever, Pastor, am I right? You did that. There are plants we call evergreen plants. And there's something that characterizes them. Does anybody know? Most of these evergreen plants are usually planted around water supplies. Yeah. Evergreen. Pastor, am I right? They are usually around water sources. And in fact, if you go around rivers, you will hardly see plants that are dead and withered. I'm not saying it's not possible because they also suffer from other diseases. But go around any river. You'll see that the plants there are green. They are flourishing. They are enjoying themselves. Why? Because there's a constant supply. Amen. So, you see, if you don't give attention to these things, you will not be fruitful in your Christian life. Your faith life will not be fruitful. Amen. You won't tap into all the blessings that God has, you know, um, provided for the new man in Christ Jesus. And I'm just going to give that simple summary. I'm not going to go into the depths of it. But if you're actually going to take full advantage and lay hold on everything that this new life has to offer, then you have to be planted. You have to take root deep down. Amen. You have to give attention to these things we are talking about because there are no shortcuts. Amen. You know in life, sometimes you are traveling to a place and there are shortcuts. They are like, ah, don't take that road now. You can take this road. In the faith, there are no shortcuts. Amen. There is no growth outside of God's word. There is no intimacy or walk with God outside of meditation and prayers. There is no shortcuts to it. You can't wish it. You can't just sleep and wish that, oh, I wish I had an intimate walk with God and tara, you just wake up and you are. Those things happen in uh, fairy tales. Amen. That they will just wish and tara, the thing has appeared. Amen. And the life we are living is not a fairy tale. It's a real life. So it's important that we have to give ourselves to these things. Amen. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, okay, I've talked about seeing a need for it. You must see the need for you to pursue these things with the whole of your heart. You must see the need to meditate. You must see the need to pray in tongues. You must know what it does for you as a believer. Pastor has taught us praying in tongues. What did pastor say about it? Can you remember? We said about, about four things, you know. You're speaking to God. Yeah, what else? You are defining yourself. What else? You're speaking mysteries in the spirit. Your spirit is praying. The supernatural side of you is praying. The supernatural side of you is engaging with life. Amen. So when you know these things, then you can boldly step out to engage these things. Amen. So please get the messages and constantly remind yourself of these truths. The thing is we need to be reminded. Because if you are not reminded, you will forget. Amen. How many of you, the things you were taught in primary school and secondary school, you still remember? <laughs> I remember you spent six years in primary school. We spent six years in second. If you bring secondary school chemistry now, I don't know it. Why? Because I've not been reminded. Yeah. In fact, sometimes the children bring assignments home. I remember one time they were doing HCM and LCF. Is it? Uh, uh, see me even calling it LCF. LCM. <laughs> and pastor was like, I should go and help them with the assignment. I saw HCF. I tried. I racked. Oh my God. <laughs> I felt a little embarrassed and I was like, sincerely, I can't remember this thing. I sincerely cannot remember it. Why? Because I've not been remembered. I did it. I, I, I've not been reminded. I did it years ago. 
And that's why you see Paul sometimes writing, he says writing the same things to you again is needful. We need to be reminded. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Peter that sometimes when we go astray, when we are not doing the things we are meant to do, it's because we have forgotten. And the book of James also says it, that he that is not a doer of the word is like a man that looks at himself in the mirror and he goes and he forgets. Amen. We need to be reminded. And that's the purpose of church. You come to church to be reminded. You take messages, you remind yourself. There's a need to do that because it keeps you at par with the need or the um, necessity of engaging in the place of prayer. Engaging the word of God. Hallelujah. And that's why you must not play truancy with church. Because it has an important role in, um, in your establishment in the newness of life. Amen. So there's a need for us to see the importance of being established. When you see the importance, then you will engage the toolkit like you should. Hallelujah. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm going to talk about is commitment. Hallelujah. We need to make a commitment. We live in a generation that don't want to be committed to anything. Amen. If there's anything that characterizes this generation, it's a lack of commitment. Even look at marriages around. Amen. And it's not only in developed, you know, before we say it's in developed world. Now, even in our own society, any little thing, a marriage falls apart. Now, I'm not saying that people cannot leave their marriages, you know, if it's going to cause maybe harm to them. There are sometimes people have to leave marriages, you know, for very good and legitimate reasons. Like people going through maybe domestic violence. We've seen instances where spouses, you know, beat each other to death or injure one another. But I'm saying that it's almost like there's no tolerance. Like any little thing, you just give up and throw in the towel that no, this is not going to work. It's almost like commitment is like a byword now. But the truth is, if we're going to be diligent in the things of God, there needs to be commitment. And what is commitment? Commitment is, um, is you pledging an allegiance to something. Amen. Is you saying that, okay, I am committed to a course of action. I am giving myself to this course of action. I am giving myself to this thing. I am making a decision that I'm giving myself to a particular course of action. It is pledging an allegiance to something. And that's why you see when, when people come together to get married, what do they do? They speak vows. Amen. They speak words of commitment. You know, the for better, for worse, till death do us part. You know, it's making a commitment to the other person. Hallelujah. And if you are going to walk with God, you need to make a commitment in your heart. That Lord, I am committed. Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am ready. I want to walk with you. Lord, I am making a commitment to staying in, the, in your word. I'm making a commitment to staying in the place of prayer. I'm making a commitment to spending time in the place of meditation. Help me, Lord. I am willing. I am ready. I want to engage. There must be that heart of commitment. Come to think of it. The martyrs of old, the people that were beheaded for the cause of Christ, amen, that were burnt at the stakes, what do you think kept them? It was commitment. That no we have made a decision that we are going to go all the way. 
So there must be that commitment. And that's why sometimes, you know, after pastor teaches, I come here, I lead prayer. I say, make a commitment to God. You know, pray about it. And God is not, you see, when you are making a commitment, God is not indifferent about it. Or he's not sitting there and saying, that, okay, I will see if you will keep to your commitment. No. That is not the kind of God that we serve. He's pleased in your heart when you make a commitment that, Lord, I want to walk with you. Lord, in my own personal life, I want to give attention to prayer. I want to give attention to meditation. It pleases the heart of the Father and he releases his grace upon you. Hallelujah. He releases his grace. He says, yes, my daughter, I want to spend time with you also. I want to engage with you, you know, in that place of prayer. And he releases his grace on you. So there must be commitment. That was what kept the saints of old. Amen. They were beheaded, burnt at the stakes, but they had made a commitment that no, we are going to go all the way. So you have to come to a point in your life where you make a commitment that no, I have seen the need for this and I am committing myself to it. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us see the book of Daniel. Chapter 1 verse 8. Okay, I think um, let's read from verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself hallelujah and the bible tells us in verse 9 9 that now god had brought daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs the bible tells us that daniel proposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself now the bible does not clearly explain while partaking of those things you know will be defilement we don't know it could be maybe um certain of the meats that was served was probably things that God had commanded the children of Israel not to eat. The Bible does not necessarily give a detailed explanation on that. But we see clearly here that Daniel said that if he partook of that, he would defile himself. And he purposed in his heart, amen, that he was not going to defile himself. And do you know how long they were fed with the king's portion? How many years? <laughs> Three years. It wasn't a two-week thing, no. It wasn't a two-weeks buffet that you'd be like, yeah, I won't eat today. It was three years. Some of us, even in dieting, you want to lose weight. And you're saying, ah, 
Okay, I'm going to I'm not going to take ice cream. I'm not going to take coke. <laughs> and then you just go for one birthday and you're like, hey, it's just his birthday now. Let me just drink this. Or it's your birthday, then somebody brings ice cream to you and you're like, hey, it's my birthday now. Let me just take it. <laughs> and you take a break from that commitment you have made. We're talking about three years here. And it was not just anything they were being served. They were being served from the king's portion. Amen. Do you know how the kings lived those days? Amen. If you've watched, I like watching epic movies when I watch movies. That's movies um, that depict the 1700s. Those are the kind of, because I like history, you know. So I, I like watching those movies that depict, you know, those old century times. I, I love watching them. You know, and if you see the way they feast, and sometimes the people are poor, they are hungry, but the king is, is feasting. Sometimes a whole cow, they can prepare for the king's feast at night. There's abundance, and they serve the best to the king. Amen. So you can imagine what they were faced with. It was a temptation, if you don't know. But they had purposed in their hearts that no, we are not going to defile ourselves. They made a commitment in their hearts. Amen. And the Bible tells us that God gave them favor. When you make a commitment, God responds to you. Amen. God responds to you. In fact, God is more passionate about you meditating in his word, praying than you are. Yeah. He's more passionate about you being established in the faith than you are. So don't think that he's a God that has saved you. And then he's sitting back and watching you with a whip in his hand. And seeing how many, and you know, calculating how many times you will make mistakes. How many days there's an angel that is taking stock. Okay, how many, how many uh, morning devotions did she have this week? That is not what pleases the heart of the father. He's passionate about you. He loves you. He celebrates you when you are doing well. And even in those low moments, he's looking for you to come to him to receive grace. Amen. He's looking for you to come to him and say, Father... At this moment, I don't even feel like... You know, you can't even go to... When you don't feel like praying, talk to God about it. And that's the challenge. Sometimes you don't feel like doing something and then you, you turn to something else. No, talk to God about it. And sometimes we look at God like our earthly father. You know our earthly fathers. Maybe... Can you, how many of you can go and meet your earthly father? That I don't want to go to school again. <laughs> Just say, I don't, oh, I don't want to go to AU again. I don't want to. I don't want to go to university again. Ah, I'm sure you won't be able to. <laughs> you won't be able to. And sometimes we tend to judge God that way. That even when we don't feel like, when we don't feel up to it, if we bring it up with Him, like He's going to chew us out. No, He's not going to. Amen. And that's why you know sometimes we use our earthly fathers or our earthly mothers to try and describe the character and the nature of God, it falls far short. It falls very short of who God is because God is perfect in every way. He's love in every bit of it. The Bible says that there is no shadow of turning in him. Amen. So don't think of God and think of your natural father. No. We don't compare to our heavenly father. Amen. He's love personified. He's perfection himself. So you can come to him and talk to him about it. Even if the desire is not there. It has I'm sure it has happened to all of us before. That there are times the desire is not even there. Sometimes you even wake up. You don't even feel like coming to church. Talk to God about it. 
Say, God, I don't know what's going on within me. And you see, your emotions, they are like, they are like signals that God has given to you to know that there is something wrong somewhere that needs to be fixed. It's just like cars. We may not know this because many cars in this environment don't have it. But in developed nations, you see, cars have, um, what do we call it? They have, um, there are signals they give when something is wrong somewhere. There's a light that, if you don't close your door well, there's a light that comes on. And you know it has to do with your door. It's not like, a, you know, here, a light will be blinking. You'll be like, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. You are wondering. We don't know. Because it's a Tokumbo car. It's not working well. Again. All the signals are just jamming. <laughs> yes, if it's your seat belt, the signal will come on. You will know it is your seat belt. If your engine oil is low, there's a signal that will come on. You will know, okay, my engine oil is low. If it's the water in your radiator, you will know exactly what is wrong when the signal comes on. And that's what our emotions are for. You know that, okay, there's something that needs to be addressed. And that's why we don't live by our emotions. You wake up, you don't feel like coming to church. Then you, It's a signal that something is wrong somewhere that needs to be addressed. So when you feel that way, you talk to God about it. You are like, Father, I'm, I don't even feel like reading. I don't even feel like praying. I don't even feel like going to church. I don't, I don't feel like doing anything. Lord, help. I can't remain like this. It's a dangerous place to be. I can't, I, can't, I can't spend a long time here. And then you begin to talk to your God. Amen. You know, prayer can take different forms. Sometimes we feel it's when we're like, shakatalaba. No. Sometimes you are praying and it's a discourse between you and God. You're just saying, God, yeah, Holy Spirit, <laughs> you need to help me at this point. Hallelujah. So we need to make a quality commitment to God and God responds to us. He loves you. He's waiting for you. He's delighted about you. He's rejoicing over you. Amen. Let's see Acts chapter 11. One of the scriptures pastor loves so much. Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. we should read from verse 19 so that we'll have um, a better understanding. It says now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Hallelujah. So we see Barnabas here also exhorting the church at Antioch that with purpose of heart they should cleave to the Lord. That means they should make a commitment, a quality decision to go all the way. Hallelujah. And it's important in our work with God. You must make that commitment personally. Nobody can make that commitment for you. Amen. 
make a commitment to living a life of meditation. Make a commitment of giving attention to God's word. Make a commitment of prayer. Praying in tongues and praying in understanding. Hallelujah. Praise God. And as we do that, God responds to us. Amen. And you see, when you make that commitment, it keeps you in the evil day. Amen. Because your heart is steadfast. Your heart has come into a place where it's not easily shaken. It is immovable. That was what kept the saints of old. Some of them were asked to deny the faith. And they would rather die than deny the faith. Hallelujah. The second thing I will talk about, or the third thing, sorry, the first thing I talked about was see the need to be established. The second thing I talked about is make a commitment. Hallelujah. And that God responds to your commitment. And thirdly, diligence. Hallelujah. And I think that's where a lot of people have challenges. Diligence. Amen. And what is diligence? Diligence talks about determination and careful, painstaking efforts. Amen. Diligence talks about determination. That means you have set out to do something and you have resolved in your heart. You are determined. Amen. That I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to see it through. And then you put in the necessary efforts. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's see Hebrews 11, 13. Sorry, I wanted to say Hebrews 11, 6, not 13. I don't know why I wrote 13 in my notes. Hebrews 11, 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him that is God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hallelujah. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. So in working with God, in developing um, intimacy with God, we need to be diligent. Hallelujah. In fact, inconsistency lies the power. Amen. We need to be consistent. We need to be diligent. That means we need to begin to consistently do those things that we have set out to do. Hallelujah. Let's see Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 4. We can go back home and, you know, study these um, scriptures for ourselves. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4. It says that the soul of the sluggard desireth and has nothing. That means the, the soul of the lazy or the soul of the slothful. It desireth and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Hallelujah. And bless God. You know, in establishment in the faith... What are we attending to? We're attending to our souls. Amen. Renewing our mind. We are feeding our souls fat on the knowledge of this new life that we have received. Amen. So if you are diligent in these things, your soul will be made fat. Your soul will flourish. Your soul will prosper. Hallelujah. Let's see Proverbs 22 verse 9. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9. Sorry, verse 19. <laughs> okay, sorry, it's 29. <laughs> I think I just wrote the wrong things in my notes. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. It says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? 
He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Hallelujah. Seest a man diligent in his work, diligent in his ways, he will stand before kings. Hallelujah. So there is need for diligence in the things of God. Hallelujah. There's need for diligence. And, you know, if you read Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it tells us, God was speaking to Joshua and he says that you will meditate in this book. How often? Day and night. Yeah. And also um, Psalm, Psalm 1 verse 1 down to 3 thereabout. It also tells us how often should we meditate in the word? Day and night. Yeah. And that's why it's painstaking. If you are going to do something day and night, it's going to require your efforts. Amen. It's going to require concentrated effort. It's not something that can be done haphazardly. Hallelujah. It's going to require, you know, effort to, um, you know, bring that thing to be or to, to be established in that thing or to do it consistently. Amen. And one of the challenges we have is that a lot of times there are other things calling for our attention. Am I right? Yeah, because we only have 24 hours in a day. This is a practical class. I'm not necessarily laying foundation for doctrine here. It's a practical class where you can learn one or two things and then you can take instruction that you can go back home and run with. Okay? So there are a lot of legitimate things that compete for attention. Take, for example, most of us here are students. You have to go for lectures. You have to prepare for tests. Amen. Sometimes you have practical class. You have tutorial groups that you have to attend. And you just have 24 hours. Let me ask you, all the things you have to do that you really, really need to do, will 24 hours be enough to do them? Be sincere with yourself. As in everything you actually need to do. I'm not saying what you can do. Everything you actually need to do. Is 24 hours actually enough? Yeah, and that's why in economics they will tell you that needs... Needs are unlimited, but resources are limited. And you know that time is a resource. Yeah. Time is a resource and is limited. You have just 24 hours in a day. And there are different things that are competing for your attention, that are dragging your attention here and there. And some of these things are actually legitimate things. Amen. There are legitimate things that require your attention. And that's why some people will tell you that if you are going to have a work with God, there's a price to pay. How many of you have heard that before? There's a price to pay. If you've not heard it before, raise up your hand. You've never heard it before that there's a price to pay. Yeshua, have you heard it before? There's a price to pay if you're going to do, uh, you know, have an intimate walk with God. And what they are trying to say basically is that you need to make some sacrifices. Amen. So don't let it scare you. Because sometimes when they say, it, if you're going to walk with God, there's a price you must pay. And your heart begins to skip. That maybe it's like the way... God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. <laughs> when they say there's a price to pay, yeah. If sometimes it sounds very scary, like God is going to ask you to do something that is really going to hit you hard. Some people start thinking, ah, maybe if I walk with God, he's going to send me to China or send me to Af Afghanistan. We had that fear, yes. If you have really desired to walk with God, those fears were there when they said there's a price to pay. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, but there was a book I read. If I didn't read the book, I saw the title of the book and it just changed my perspective to there's a price to pay. I read Oretta Hagen's book. Oretta Hagen is the wife of um, the late Kenneth Hagen. You know, after so many years, maybe 40, 50 years of ministry, she wrote a book, the only book she ever wrote. wrote. You know, she was not in the fivefold um, 
ministry like her husband, but she was always there by her husband, supporting him in his ministry. And she wrote a book, The Prize is Not Greater Than the Grace of God. That was her conclusion after so many years of ministry that the prize is not greater than the grace of God. And one thing I've realized, you see, is that when you are still on this other side of the device, whatever you have to let of the divide, whatever you have to let go of, you think of it as, ah, so I have to let go of this or I have to let go of that. To you, it seems weighty. But you see, by the time you cross over to the other side of the divide and you actually begin to walk with God, you will look at those things and you will count them but dung. That was what Paul did in the book of Philippians. He looked back at all his past achievements. Every certificate that could ever make him stand out, you know, in the society of Israel or among the Jews. He counted them as dung. Amen. And I'm not saying this that maybe you have to um, leave your lectures or leave your tests. But the truth is that you still have a lot of free time. Your lectures don't take up all your day, does it? No, you have, and that's why there are schedules for your lectures. You didn't just come into school and they're like, we can call you anytime for lectures. It won't be an institution of learning. Nobody learns that way. Yeah. They're doing it. They'll just call you for lectures at any time. It's because, you know, Nigeria is not an ideal society. It will become in the name of Jesus. It will be. We believe God. But right now, it is not an ideal society. Yes, because sometimes you are here. If you better know what obtains in other places. All the time you people were locked down for one year. People were graduating abroad. Yes. They were doing their courses online. They graduated online. Yeah. Life continued. Why you people were locked down for one year? And I was wondering, so even that one year is not enough to perfect whatever they needed to perfect. So please, we don't have an ideal system here. So you cannot necessarily use to, that to judge. But in an ideal learning environment, you can't just have things haphazard. Amen. Because orderliness and patterns are also part of learning. Yeah, it's part of learning. Orderliness and patterns. And that's why you have a timetable at the beginning of, of your course here. You know when you're going to have these lectures. You know when you're going to... At least that was what obtained before. Now, it doesn't mean lectures cannot be shifted. Or was it haphazard? Has it been haphazard all this while? Let us know how bad things have gotten. <laughs> because during our own days, it was not haphazard. We still ran, you know, with, um, with lecture schedules. You know, so there are lecture schedules so that, okay, you have time, you know, to come in, have your lectures. You have time for your tutorials. And then you can also have some free time to yourself. Amen. So this free time you have to yourself, there are other things you put in it. Of course, you wash, you cook, you go to the market. And then let's talk about the other things. Can you tell me the other things you do with those free times? We oh, yeah, are talk now. Hey, you sleep, you watch movies, good. WhatsApp, play game, hangouts, Snapchat. We oh, yeah, are say it now. You know it now. Facebook, Twitter. But they've chased you away from Twitter now in your society. <laughs> you know, so there are a lot of things we do with those free times. So when, when we say there's a price to pay, it means you may need to cut down on some of those things so that you can spend more time with God. Yes, that is the price. Eh? God will not tell you to go and sacrifice your firstborn son. <laughs> so when you hear that there's a price to pay, don't get scared. Amen. It just means that things that you naturally enjoy. Who, do, who doesn't? You don't enjoy watching movies here. Yeah, let me see your hands. I enjoy watching movies. 
How many of you don't enjoy gisting and visiting your friends and just playing and hanging out? We don't enjoy those things. They are fun things to do. Amen. But if you are going to have a walk with God, because there are other legitimate things you can't pull yourself out from, you will need to cut down on those things. Amen. You need to cut down on those things. Because if you don't cut down on them, then you won't have enough time to spend in the word. And remember the prescription, day and night. Amen. So even as you are going to class, your mindedness is the things of God. Even as you are going around, you are engulfed, you are consumed by the things of God. Amen. And it doesn't make you dull in any way. You know, I was sharing it. Some people think that, okay, maybe if I'm thinking the thoughts of God as I'm going to class, it will make me dull. It sharpens you. Yes. How many of you have noticed? Oh, if you've worked with God, there are some of these things I'm sharing that you, you'll be able to identify with it. That those periods then that you are consistent, that you spend time praying, spend time, you know, in the word. You are sharp. Yeah, you are very sharp. When you are making decisions, it's like pew. You know what to do. You know what to say. Yeah. Even when you are going for tests, there's, a, there's one confidence. Even if you've not read everything, there's a confidence with which you are going. Yeah. But when you, all you've been doing is playing games, social media, there's, there's a way it blunts your mind. It doesn't sharpen your mind. Sincerely, when you spend, be sincere with yourself. Sometimes, you know, you know my children, <laughs> Gloria is smiling at the back. Sometimes when you let them watch movies for like three, four hours, then when you put it off, they're like this. Then they're like, Mommy, we don't know what to do. <laughs> Gloria, am I lying? Is that true? Is it true what I just said? E- exactly, that's the way they say it. They just come. And it's like a zombie-like, Mommy, we don't know what to do. And I'm like, I understand. It's the withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> They understand that's why I wouldn't let you watch it if you were just there for two or three hours, even sometimes one hour, and they are like that. How much more those of you that now watch season movies when you come out, you know, like zombie? Yes, <laughs> you are so dull, you are so blunt, can see it. We can see the effects of these things. And that's why we are saying it. I can see the effects of, on my children. In fact, there was a time Gloria was saying it that yes, mommy is true. It's almost as though you are in another realm and they have to unplug you from that realm. And it's a realm of virtual reality. It's not a real realm. It's like you went into another reality that is not really a reality and you are trying to get back into a normal mode. So there's a need to cut down on these things and this is the sacrifice we are talking about. That the way your friends sit down for five, six, seven hours gisting. Someone came to me and was like, Ha, ah, Pastor, did you watch Game of Thrones? Why will I spend my time there? I don't even bother with season movies any longer. The only one I watched is one, and it was because someone that was like a sister to me made me watch it. I don't have time for it. So even if I want to see a movie, I, when I, please, I don't want a movie that is season. Just a movie that is like one or two hours. And I'm done. And I'm not the type that I come to you. Ask pastor, I'm not the type that I come to your house. Then you're playing a movie. Then I sit down like, hey, hey, hey. I don't do it. If I want to watch a movie, it could be once a month or twice a month. Maybe I just feel like relaxing and I want to watch a movie. I select the movie. Sometimes I might even ask friends, ah, what movie will you recommend and all of that? And they say, okay, I'll go and see this. And then I sit down and watch it and I'm done. 
but not that you sit down season one then you begin to have season two you cannot have a walk with God amen you will only keep up with the Kardashians you will keep up with the season movies that's what you will do and let me tell you something that appetite is developed appetite does not jump on you appetite is something that is developed if you start it you will get used to it by the time you finish prison break I know those are old ones because I don't even know the new ones but at least when season movies started coming out, those are the ones we were familiar with. You are looking for the next season movie that will come out because you've already trained yourself. You tr- you've trained your soul to develop appetite for that. There are certain foods that if I ask you now, how many of you would like it if I buy ice cream for you after service? Oh, see all their pretty faces, especially the ladies. They like ice cream. You like ice cream, right? How many of you would like it if I buy sushi for you after service? Aha! Uh-huh. There's no appetite for it because you've not eaten it before. For some people, it's a delicacy. They're already warning me of time. I don't know if we'll finish this message today. (laughs) If I cannot finish it today, (laughs) if I cannot finish it today, then we'll just pick it up from (laughs) there next week. So you see, if I come to you, oh, will you eat Mongolian sushi? Or um, will you want casserole? You don't know what they are. You don't have appetite for it, right? You've never tasted it before. Right? So you don't have appetite for it. If, if I say ice cream, ah, there's nobody here that's not, anybody here that's not taken ice cream before? You. <laughs> Everybody has taken it before, so you have an appetite for it. So when you see it, you want to take it. Sometimes you don't see it, you desire it. Am I right? And you check your purse and do I have enough money? I must take ice cream today. (laughs) Amen. So appetite is developed by what you expose yourself to. The more you expose yourself to God's word, the more appetite you develop for God's word. Amen. The more time you spend there, the more time you want to spend there. But the challenge is sometimes at the beginning, it seems like a struggle. Then we give up on it. No. No. You will start start a step at a time. You are taking those baby steps. It doesn't seem all delightful at first. It doesn't seem like, oh, this is something I have appetite for. But keep at it. Keep exposing yourself to God's word. Keep keep exposing yourself daily, again and again and again. And before you know it, you you begin to develop appetite for it. If you are someone that you are giving to God's word, you know that sometimes you can even be in a class and a scripture just pops up in your mind. And you want that class to finish. You want to finish for the day so that you can go back and investigate that scripture. I don't know if it has happened to you before, but it does happen. It's just in your head and you're like, no, no, no. I have to go and read that scripture, then look for connecting scriptures and then study around it. Or you're just there, then maybe something drops in your heart about righteousness and you're like, eh, and this lecturer should hurry up and finish, Jare. I need to go and search scriptures, you know, concerning that. Appetite is developed. What you expose yourself to is what you will have appetite for. So if what you are doing, (laughs) if what you are doing for the better part of your day is gaming, social media, and all of that, is because that is what you've been consistently exposing yourself to. Hallelujah. That is what you've been consistently exposing yourself to. So it's time to begin to change our exposures. Amen. You begin to limit your exposure to certain things. You begin to tell yourself social media, maybe at most... 30 minutes in a day or one hour in a day. Amen. Apart from my, I think my WhatsApp um, 
my WhatsApp group, for which maybe my work page and other professional pages that I belong to that I might need to respond to things. And then as a pastor, sometimes some people cannot reach you via phone call and then they send an SOS message via WhatsApp. You know, so my WhatsApp is always up. But others, other social media, I don't do it during the day. In the evening, I can settle down and maybe go through certain things I want to go through, but not during the day. Amen. So you can have those resolves that no, I'm not going to spend, you know, majority of my time. You can allocate a time for it. Amen. If you don't do it, it will keep taking up much of your time. It's after 11. I think I might need to round up here for now. I thought I would be able to finish this message today, but we might need to pick it up um, next week Sunday. But like I said, these are practical um, insights, and I believe that we've learned one or two things. I just want to round up on these notes that please get messages and consistently remind yourself of the reasons why you need to meditate, the reasons why you need to pray in tongues. You must stay reminded. Hallelujah. Amen. It's important to consistently remind yourselves. Then make commitments to God. Amen. Make commitments. You can even make those commitments daily. Wake up and say, Lord, I am committing myself to the study of your word. I'm committing myself to prayer. And God will respond to you. Did we see the way God responded today um, to Daniel? Yeah, the Bible said God gave him favor. Amen. God will release his grace upon you as you do that. And then the third thing we're talking about, we began to talk about diligence. And I won't be able to finish that this week, but we'll pick it up um, from next week. And I believe that you've learned one or two things here today. We'll pick it up next week. I just want you to bow your heads and say, thank you, Father, for your word that has come to me today. I'm grateful. Thank you for light. In the name of Jesus, I am not slothful in business. I am fervent in spirit. I serve the Lord. The things of the spirit, they are important to me. And I treat them as urgent. Father, Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit in me. It's quickening me, strengthening me, teaching me, enabling me to prioritize the things of the Spirit. It's changing me within to conform to the image of the Son of God. I am diligent. I'm on fire. I'm diligent. I'm sharp. I am smart. I am quick to hear, to do the word. I am conformed to the image of Christ. My path is a path of the just. It's shining brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. All things concerning me are perfected in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word and your and your precious Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I'm a doer of the word. I don't just hear, but I think upon, I meditate, I make a decision to do the word, then I hear it more than I do. And I'm blessed indeed in all I do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. I just want us to bow our head for like a minute or two. I'm praying the spirit. Thank you, Father, for the ministry of your word. Building us up, changing us, transforming us. Likabosa, lenemente, prenemandila tosa, da preyede kishte, kabande, talizabando, pranamande. Say, Lord, I open up my heart to you this morning. Likando prenemensite libredishta, lebresute ligredishta, kanamande, kadali seteli ambradosa. Speak to me, Father, in your word. Teach me this morning by your spirit. Lebando compresite li. Open my eyes, Lord. Mikando to see more of Jesus this morning. Manan Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. You know, our time is fast spent, so we'll just be going straight um, into God's word. And can we remember what we were talking about last week, Sunday? Amen. Anybody who remembers what we were talking about last week, Sunday? Anybody? Pastor put up the message on the group, on um, the church page. Did anybody listen to it? Okay. Alright. So it's practical insights for establishment in the divine life. Practical insights for establishment in the divine life. And, you know, I said some things last week, Sunday. I said, Pastor has already taken a lot of teachings, you know, to show us, you know, how or the role of the ministry of God's word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in establishing the believer in the newness of life. And I said something very important. I said that the greatest need of an unbeliever is salvation. And the greatest need of a believer is the renewing of the mind. Without the renewing of the mind, we cannot be established in the divine life. Hallelujah. Because before we became born again, there was a manner of life, you know, that we had. Now that we are in Christ Jesus, we are meant to renew our minds. Amen. We are meant to unlearn some things and begin to learn the things of Christ. Hallelujah. And as we engage in the learning of Christ, we become established in the newness of life. Hallelujah. And I remember last week, I also um, touched on the role of the church 
in establishing the believer in the newness of life. And I said that the church is meant to train the believer. Hallelujah. That's why ministry gifts were given, to train and to equip. Hallelujah. The church can help you initiate a walk with God. It can help you initiate um, personal intimacy, you know, with God. But beyond the church, in your own privacy, after you leave church, you must also have a personal walk with God. Hallelujah. And I remember I also talked about the toolkit for our establishment. I said it's the um, hearing of the word, the reading of the word, studying of God's word, meditation, prayers, especially praying in tongues. Amen. If any believer is going to grow in the things of God, if he's going to be established in the newness of life, then you must engage on those fronts. Amen. If you are not pers- um, you know, personally engaging on those fronts, you will not be established in the newness of life. Yes, it's beautiful. We come to church. We hear God's word. We read the word. We take confessions. We take time to pray. But this is not enough. Hallelujah. I said it. It is just to whet your appetite for more. Hallelujah. In your closet, there should be much more of that going on. Glory to Jesus. You know, the life we've been called to is not... Um, it's not something we just come to church and give expression to. Amen. And I likened the church, you know, to a military barrack where people are trained, you know, but the real life we are to live or the real work we have to do is actually out there. Amen. Hallelujah. So when we are out there, we should do much more in terms of prayers, meditation, reading, and studying the word. Let not what we do in church be all there is to your Christian faith or to your work with God. Hallelujah. I love um, the book of Colossians. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, you know, so continue in him, rooted. Amen. It says rooted. And I remember I said something last week. I said, you see, God didn't just dash us his life. He didn't just say, take my life and go. What we did was to plug into God. Hallelujah. We are plugged into the life of God. And if you remember John chapter 15, Jesus was saying, abide in me, you know, and I in you, for you cannot bear fruit without me. Amen. And that's why I was giving an analogy of trees that you see trees are planted in a place. They are rooted. They are grounded because they draw their life source. They draw their supply, you know, from the place where they are planted. That is where they draw their nourishment from. And you see even the branches of the tree, they cannot detach from the tree. Amen. They are constantly attached to the tree, you know, because they don't even have roots of their own. Any nourishment they have to take has to come, you know, from the roots of the tree itself and, you know, from the stems and all of that. Once you cut off a branch of a tree and you throw it down, with time it's going to decay. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Say, I am a branch and Jesus is the vine. Yeah, so we are plugged into him and it is in him that we will bear fruits. Pastor has talked so much, you know, um, I think in um, Tuesday Bible studies about um, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the recreated human spirit. And you know, without this constant uninterrupted supply, it will be difficult for the life of a believer to be fruitful. We have to be plugged into him constantly and uninterruptedly. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. All right. So, um, I laid down foundation based on the things that um, pastor had taught. And I also said about the church that the church is not um, a place where we come to perform. It's not a one-man performance. You know, where the pastor comes up and preaches and everybody is hailing him, celebrating him or hyping him, as the case may be. No, the church is a spiritual body. 
is a place where we all come, you know, together with the graces and the giftings that God has put on our inside. Hallelujah. And we minister to one another. How many of you were blessed when Mr. Elisomi was taking praise and worship? I was blessed. Hallelujah. I was blessed by Yeshua, you know, um, playing the keyboard. So when we come together, we have supplies on our inside and we are flowing out to one another. That is a true and a spiritual church. So let's not be carried away, you know, by the physical things we do, you know, arranging stuff. Those things are necessary. They facilitate the spiritual service that we have to carry out. Amen. But you know, without all these things, we can still carry out spiritual service. How many of you know that? Amen. It just facilitates it. Imagine there were a thousand people here. If there's no PA system, it may be difficult for them to hear. You know that. So it just facilitates what we have to do. But our true service here is spiritual service. Hallelujah. So we must be mindful of that. And I talked about our toolkit. I'm going to repeat it again, you know, to be established in the divine life. The hearing of God's word. The reading of God's word. Meditation in the word. Studying the word. Prayers, especially praying in other tongues. Hallelujah. Then confessing God's word. That's our toolkit. I remember listening to... Um, an Andrew Womack message and he, he put together a series of teachings and he called it the survival toolkit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's your toolkit for establishment. And I remember I was saying something about these days that there are a lot of DIY things. Do it yourself. Amen. People are no longer consulting, you know, uh, maybe skilled people to come and do certain things for themselves, you know, painting, setting up certain equipment or appliances, you do it yourself. Amen. So that toolkit is for you. It's for you to take home, you know, and you begin to use those things and engage on those fronts. Hallelujah. Amen. And then we entered into the uh, main teaching, which is practical insights. And like I said, I am not actually establishing doctrine here. I'm just giving us practical insights by which we can begin to do these things in our own um, personal lives. And I remember the first thing I talked about was seeing a need to even engage on this front because some people don't see a need for it. They just feel, well, I've come to church. I've listened to God's word. I can carry on my normal life out there. You know, but pastor said something very important during um, prayer school yesterday. Sorry, the message. Somehow we lost it. It was not recorded. So um, for those of you that are not there, you might have to see us. It was a very impactful message. I was, I was really blessed. He said something. He said, imagine um, the ambassador from the U.S., you know, to Nigeria. He's here. There are certain things he has been given. He's here in Nigeria, but he's not a Nigerian. He's a U.S. citizen. Hallelujah. And whatever he has to do, he has to um, communicate with his home country. Hallelujah. He has to receive instructions or information from headquarters in his home country. Amen. So the same way we are ambassadors of Christ. We must not be disconnected from our headquarters. Amen. We cannot. You cannot, you cannot afford to be disconnected from your headquarters. Imagine the ambassador. Maybe the, um, their, what do they call it now? Their embassy is under siege. And then he doesn't call his headquarters. He's just running helter-skelter. Maybe he's even calling the Nigerian police. <laughs> he's calling the Nigerian police. Or maybe... Maybe Sister Buki had something to do at the embassy. Then he said, please give me your phone. I need to quickly call um, the president of the U.S. If he dials with your, with your phone, will the president pick it? He will not pick it. Why? Because those are not the tools he has been given to operate. But I'm sure there are some emergency numbers that if he dials, 
it goes straight, probably even to the presidency, that our embassy is under siege. We need immediate help. I'm sure help will be deployed immediately. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm talking about normal countries, though, as in countries that have structures and systems, because I really cannot use Nigeria in this example, but I'm sure that in the days ahead, we'll be able to use Nigeria. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's our country and we love our country. Amen. So, you know, there are certain um, tools that have been given to him to operate and to function. If he does not engage with those tools, he won't be able to function effectively. So also the believer, there are tools and, you know, there's a kit you've been given that you must engage with to be able to function effectively. Hallelujah. Amen. So we talked about seeing that need. So there's a need to see what meditation, what prayers, what confession, what studying God's word, what, what it will do for you. And I said that there are a lot of messages in the archives. You know, you can go back, get those messages. And I also stressed something very important, that there's a need to get these messages because we must be reminded. Amen. Paul said, I will not cease to remind you of these things. Paul kept reminding the churches he was writing to again and again and again. The truth is there's no superhero that learns something in the Bible and goes off with it and you know, he's fine. He never revisits it again. There's no such believer. Amen. That's not the system God has, you know, um, put in place for the believer. We have to be reminded. You have to constantly engage with God's word. You have to constantly engage in the place of prayer. Amen. And that's why you must have an archive of God's word. If you look into your system and what you are having is a library of movies, then you need to repent. Amen. If I look at your system, am I going to see a library of messages or a library of movies? A or B? If it's A, library of movies. Let me see your hands. I know you won't raise your hands even if it's library of movies. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there is a need. There's a need to be constantly reminded and, and that's why the early church the bible tells us that they gathered daily amen we might not be gathering daily in our own generation because the times and the seasons are different but we gather as constantly as we can we do so on sundays we do that tuesdays thursdays you know and sometimes special meetings and these things are important because we need to be reminded and if you look at it how many hours do we spend in church in a week if you look at it it's a very small fraction of your time Amen. That's why you should take that period very seriously. Amen. Let your mind be engaged when you are here because there are a lot of distractions out there. Hallelujah. So when you are here, be focused, be attentive, get what you need to get. And then when you go back to your own personal space, you can begin to engage on your own. Hallelujah. So um, I talked about the need um, that we must see a need to engage on all these fronts. And the second thing I talked about is making a commitment. How many of us remember? Hallelujah. I said it's important that we must make a commitment. We must say, Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am ready in my own personal space to engage in meditation, to engage in prayers. There must first and foremost be a willingness and a readiness. When there's a willingness and a readiness in your heart, then God responds to you. Hallelujah. And I said that God is more passionate about you, even engaging on this front more than you are. Hallelujah. He's more passionate about it than you are. So there must be that commitment in our hearts. And I said, commitment means that you are bound to a course of action. You've bound yourself to a course of action. More like you have made a pledge of allegiance that I am going to do this and so help me God. 
Hallelujah. And we saw scriptures where, you know, the Bible talks about men that purposed in their hearts, you know, to do certain things. We saw Daniel, he purposed in his heart that he was not going to partake of the king's portion. We saw the, um, the believers in um, the church at Antioch, you know, the Bible says that, you know, with purpose of hearts, they cleaved to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So as we purpose in our hearts, as we make that commitment, God responds to us. We see the Bible telling us that God released favor upon Daniel. I'm not going to go back to read. We read a number of those scriptures last week. And I'm just actually doing a recap to remind us of where we stopped. Then we go ahead. So there must be that commitment. So um, we talked about that. That was the second thing. And um, I said as we do that, that grace is released upon us and then the third thing we were considering is giving due diligence hallelujah and i said this is where a lot of believers actually have challenges amen that diligence sometimes you start off and it seems like it wanes after a while and it seems like um, one's walk seems like this um, mountaintop experience and then the valley experience but that's um, that shouldn't actually be the ideal it shouldn't be our experience i don't think it's the normal the fact that a lot of people might actually be having that experience does not mean it is the ideal. Hallelujah. We can actually live in that place of consistency. Amen. We can live in that place of interrupted, un uninterrupted devotion. Amen. Hallelujah. So we talked about diligence and I said diligence is determination and persistent or painstaking efforts. That means you've made up your mind. You've determined in your mind that, okay, this commitment I have made, I'm going to see it through. Hallelujah. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to stand by it. And we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hallelujah. God wants us, you know, to engage on this front diligently. And I said that there is a prescription which the word has given us. And that prescription is day and night. Joshua 1.8. It says, you know, that you must engage. You must meditate in the word day and and night. God was saying that to Joshua that this book of the law, you have to meditate in it day and night. And um, Psalm chapter 1 2 was telling us that, you know, the man that is planted by the tree, um, that is planted by the rivers of water, is that man that meditates in God's word day and night. And I say day and night does not mean you do it in the morning and then you do it at night. That is not what it means. But it means that constant uninterrupted, you know, connection. Hallelujah. Constant, uninterrupted engagement on all of these fronts. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Are we following? So I said, this is the area where a lot of believers have challenges. And why do we have challenges in this area? It's because um, time is, is a limited resource. And the things we have to do, there are so many. Hallelujah. If everything you actually desire to do, if you were to fit it into 24 hours, I mean everything, if you were to fit it into 24 hours, it wouldn't be enough. 24 hours would actually not be enough. So because we do not have enough time, there's a need to strategize. There's a need to look at it and say, okay, how am I going to be able to, um, you know, live optimally? You know, how am I going to be productive? How am I going to be more effective or efficient in my life? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And um, the first thing I want to talk about is prioritize. Amen there is a need to prioritize and to prioritize it just means that you have several things on you know your agenda that you have to attend to some important not some not so important and some 
they are negligible. Some other things are negligible. There are certain things that if you do not do, it's going to affect your progress or your success in life. Do you know that? Take for example, if you are in school and then you are not going for lectures. <laughs> you are not going for your tests. Is it going to affect your success in your academics? It will. Yes. If you don't watch uh, movies, is it going to affect your success or your progress? So there are certain things that are, they are, um, they are negligible. You can do without them. There are certain things that you cannot do without. You have to engage on those fronts. If you do not, it's going to affect your success and your progress in life. So you must know how to prioritize. Amen. You must look at your day. And I think that's, that's the thing with a lot of people. A lot of people don't plan. They just sleep. And then they wake up the next day. Okay, there's a lecture. You jump for the lecture. Then there's one four-hour break somewhere. You're not even sure what you want to do with it. Then one friend says, oh, and I want to get to new market and buy some things. I want to make soup. Then you follow the friend there. Then you follow him. You help him make the soup. You don't, there's no schedule for your life. Everything is haphazard. There's no orderliness. There's no pattern. And that has to change. We need to learn to prioritize. You must look at your day. What are the most important things that I have to achieve in my day? For a student, you look at it. Okay, lectures. My lectures are compulsory. I have to attend my lectures. You look at it. Okay, it's important for me to spend time in the place of prayers, to spend time in God's word. You look at it. That is priority. What else? Okay, maybe there are certain people that... Um, um, I'm ministering to that I check on to share God's word with them. You look at it, what are the things that are most important to me? Then you make your list. You know the things that are, you know, of priority to you. And that's why we were saying last week that certain things have to go because you have just 24 hours. Certain things must go for you to be able to accommodate the most important things that you have to do. And I was saying that that is what people say there's a price to pay. Amen. Hallelujah. When they say there is a price to pay, that is what it means. Hallelujah. It means you cannot accommodate everything. You cannot accommodate everything you need to do and permit me to say other frivolities in your life. Take for example, if you look at it, okay, maybe I have lectures 8 to 4. Then maybe after 4, I have church service. Then you come for church service. Maybe you have a test the next day. You know that probably after church service, maybe you go find something to eat and then you go read, right? Aha. So if you, if, you, if you put it in that order of priority, you wouldn't um, finish lectures, then go and watch movies somewhere. Maybe you're doing drama somewhere. You go and watch the drama. Then after the drama, you're like, ah, I can't go for service, so I have tests tomorrow. I have to go and read. You see, there's already... That, it's, 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 it's not a flow. You're already disrupting things in your life already. So when we say there is a price to pay, it's because there are certain things that you might have to give up so that you can focus on the things that are most important. Hallelujah. Amen. And I, I said something to last week. I said, when we give attention to God's word, when we give attention to prayers, and you know, we let go of certain things, at the end of the day, you are not going to feel like you have lost. Amen. At the end of the day, you are going to look back and give thanks to God. You are going to give praise to God. That's why Paul was able to look back and he said he counted every achievement or everything he might have. He said, I count it as dung. I was sharing about Oretta Hagen too that she wrote a book and she said the price is not greater than God's grace. She looked at what God's grace had done in their life over the years. You know, maybe I should just share something little from their experience. You know, Kenneth Hagen went into full-time ministry. I don't think he ever worked a day in his life. 
I don't think he did. You know, early on he wanted to be a lawyer. You know, he was he actually had great ambitions, but he knew he was called into the ministry and God told him not to do any secular work. Amen. And when he was going to get married to his wife, he told his wife, "See that I don't have I might not have the money to buy you the best things, but let's follow God." You know, and all of these things, you know, God will make happen for us. And you know, she went along with him. And I remember she said in the early days, I think even when she's maybe going for programs, maybe she has to borrow a frock, borrow certain things from her sister to use, which some women will not like. Some women will frustrate their husbands. You know, she had to borrow some things in the early days. And I think there was another man of God who was, um, who was a friend to them. I believe I'm right. I remember the story because I heard the story <laughs> a long time ago. It was, um, I think, Hagen himself that was narrating it. There was a friend of theirs who was also called to full-time ministry but the wife she wanted a lot of things she was quite materialistic so she kept putting pressure on the husband so instead of the husband going into full-time ministry i think he took a side job and with time that thing started taking his attention such that he couldn't really pay attention to the ministry you know after a while and well i don't know what became of them i don't know if they repented after a while but they left the ministry yeah they left the ministry and I'm not even sure if they were able to, you know, stand out even in what they were doing. But Higgin followed God. He followed what God had called him to do. And you know, they had more than enough. They were even giving out, you know, hallelujah. Amen. Are you following me? So it pays, it pays to stick to the things that make for your success, that makes for your progress in life. So don't look at maybe the things you are giving up. The things you are, um, you know, laying aside. Don't look at it that, oh, I am losing. No, you are not losing. At the end of the day, it's going to be so much gain to you. Hallelujah. So when anybody tells you there's a price to pay, that is what it means. That means you might not have three, four, five hours to go and gist with your friends sitting somewhere and just whiling away the time. You can spend that time wisely. Amen. Let's see something in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 14 to 17. It says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will is of the Lord is. Hallelujah. So it says we should walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of your time. Hallelujah. We must make the most of our times. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we, we should lay aside the weights that easily besets us. There are certain things that are weights that they will slow down your progress. They will slow down, they will slow you down on your journey to success. So you should lay them aside. Hallelujah. So you should look into, the, into your life. What are those things that constitute a distraction? What are those things that are constituting weights in your life? That are dragging you back? Amen. It will be different for, for different people. For some people, you may be playing games. Maybe you just find out that you spend four to six hours of your day. You are playing games. And you are a student. And it's not like you do it once a while. You do it every day. Back to back. You are not preparing yourself for success. 
Amen. Even if you look at the world, you know, the Bible tells us that the sons of this world, they are wise. Yeah. They are wise in some respects. That's why if you look at the people that are doing well, they will tell you maybe seven, um, seven secrets of successful people. Some of them even write books. And if you are looking at it, they will tell you certain things that they do and certain things that they don't do. Like the rich people, they will tell you that rich people, you don't see them wearing the most expensive things. Amen. As in the very end, you can see it for yourself. If you see Bill Gates, if you don't know it's Bill Gates, you won't think he's a very wealthy person. If you see Mark Zuckerberg, he was always wearing one gray shirt. <laughs> I don't know if you know that gray shirt. But many people saw Hush Puppy. You all know Hush Puppy. Is there anybody that doesn't know Hush Puppy here? We all saw Hush Puppy. All the Gucci, this Gucci, all the designer things flying private jets here and there living the flamboyant life so even the sons of this world they know they know that to be successful to be truly successful there are certain things you do and there are certain things you don't do how much more the sons of light amen so we must know that there's a need to prioritize in our life and you must begin to prioritize and uh, prioritize the things you need to do and you should do it on a daily basis you should look into your day what for me, I do it at night. Before I sleep at night, sometimes I'll ask pastor. Because when you are married, your schedule becomes kind of intertwined without of your spouse. It is no longer just your schedule. So sometimes I want to know his schedule. Sometimes he wants to know mine too. Because sometimes my schedule will involve him. Maybe I need to go somewhere and maybe I need him to help drive me there. It's going to take his time. Or maybe there's something I need to do and I want him to be there. It's going to take his time. So sometimes I'm like, ah, sweetheart, I need to do this tomorrow. I need to do this and I will need you to be there so that he can factor it into his own schedule. So there's a need to prioritize. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. The second thing I want to talk about, we talked about prioritizing the things you need to do. The second thing I want to talk about is you need to build routines. If you don't do these things, you will not give due diligence to the things you need to do. The second thing is you need to build routines. And building routines just means creating systems and structures around your life. Hallelujah. I read, wrote something here. He said, building routines provides you a structure and logical sequence to your life. It builds a framework for your activities. It means your life becomes predictable. Amen. And to a large extent, our lives should be predictable. To a large extent, our lives should be. Somebody should be able to look at the time and say, Ah, okay, oh, by this time, Nifemi is likely to be in church. Oh, by this time, um, Nifemi should maybe likely be with her, um, maybe her cosmates studying. Hallelujah. So it gives a logical sequence to your life. That there's a way your life, you know, proceeds on a daily basis. It's not just haphazard. Amen. It's not just haphazard. There's a flow to your life. And if we look at institutions in our world, there are systems and structures that are put in place. Without systems and structures, there won't be um, productivity. There won't be effectiveness at what we do. I was asking us last week that even, you know, lecture schedules on campus, that it has a pattern, it has an order. And I remember some of us saying, ah, now not really and i was like well we may not be able to use nigeria or you know our academic situ um, 
institutions as an ideal um, example because I can't really say that we have created um, you know, very effective structures or systems. Hallelujah. But if you look at, um, let's say, multinational institutions, they have systems and structures. And that's why if you want to do things maybe with an international organization, you find out that it's very easy to do it with them. The Nigerian system you have to go through here to get it done can frustrate you. But with them there, it's actually very straightforward. Maybe you're just supposed to go online and do something. Maybe when you want to now pay through the Nigerian bank, you now begin to see that there are no proper systems and structures on ground here. So there are systems and structures that organizations put in place to make things effective, to make things productive. Hallelujah. So when you operate by routines, your life becomes more effective. You become more productive in what you are doing. You are focused. You know the most important things you should do. So you should have a daily routine. You should. Before you go to bed at night, you should know what your next day will be like. You should know, okay, I have lectures in the morning. After my lectures, maybe, okay, I need to cook. Maybe after my lectures, I'll quickly go to the market, buy some things. I may not be able to cook, maybe because I have another lecture in the afternoon. I'll buy the things, drop them in my room, come back for my lectures. When I'm done with my lectures, I can now go back to the room. You should be organized. You should have a routine you work with. You should. And a lot of us, you know, sometimes we leave these spiritual things you know for the times when we are tired your meditation the only time you have created for meditation for prayers is when you are done with the entire day's work and you are tired and then you want to sleep then you bring out your bible kole work kole work it will not work amen imagine the school fixing lectures for midnight they're like right now we're no longer going to hold lectures during the day we're not going to be having midnight lectures half of the class will be asleep because there are some people that once is eight they are shutting down already yeah so even the school authority does not fix important things like lectures have you ever been called for test at midnight 2 a.m they know you will not boot so that's why the school will not say, okay, oh, ah, your math test, 2 a.m. Thursday. They will not do it because they know you are not at your optimal. So you shouldn't leave these things you need to do for those times when you are tired. And that's why a lot of people, they just wake up the next morning and you find out that you used your, um, your Bible as a pillow. And we don't do, yes, it happens. Sometimes you are sleeping and you are just saying, makada, makada, makada. And you just wake up the next morning. You should look for those periods that are most optimal for you. I remember um, there was a time I and Pastor were trying to fix a time, you know, to be praying together. And I am more of a night person. In fact, I can have one hour sleep during the night. And I will still be able... Pastor, once he's getting to 9, 10, he's, he can now wake up at 3 or at 4 a.m. in the morning. Me, that's when I begin to enjoy my sleep. Around that 4, 5, oh, my sleep is sweetest around that time. So I think there was a time we fixed them prayers for, was it 6? Maybe 5.30 or 6. I was like, ha, will this thing work? So we fixed it for that time. Well, I would, it would make, wake me up. We'll be there. I'll be praying. But after a while, it just says, <laughs> and then I'm sleeping off again. After a while, I told him that, see, this thing cannot work. Because if we're going to spend time together praying, it has to be effective. It has to be a time that I'm awake, I'm alert. 
I'm actually really participating in what we are doing. So you can't leave these activities for when you are tired. Amen. You have to look for times when you are awake, you are alert, you are ready. Amen. Take for example, maybe Saturdays that you don't have lectures. You have to look, maybe Saturdays that you don't have lectures, you don't have tests. Maybe you wake up in the morning, if you're an early morning person, you can wake up maybe 4 a.m., take time to study, take time to pray, and then you set out. So you have to look for the time, let me say your free time when you're not engaged with academic activities, when you are most optimal. Because I won't say, oh, because um, you have to study the word, you shouldn't go for your lectures. No, that is not what we are saying here. But there are other free times that you have that you are still quite awake and you are very alert. You should make use of those times. I remember back on campus, I told you I'm a night person, I read at night. I know there are some people, every reading they have to do, they do during the day. Once it's 7, 8, they are done. But for me, 7, 8, it's like my day has just started. It's like there's a renewing of my strength. It's like there's a, there's a booster for my strength when it's getting to 7, 8. And then I could run like that to 3, three 4 before I begin to feel sleepy or I, need, I, I feel like I need to, you know, um, take a rest or something. So usually I would go and read. I used to read in um, my fellowship library in Fudge. Then I would go and read. I could read from like say 7 to like 10 or 11. And then when it's like 11, I'm still actually very much awake and very alert. I'll go to sports complex. I had a place, one of those uncovered pavilions. I'll just go and spend like an hour there. I'll just pray in tongues. Sometimes it's not because there's anything wrong. And I did it daily. I did it every day. The only day I did not do it was maybe because at a point I was in the ex-co. The only time I did not do it is maybe we had an overnight meeting. Or maybe we had a business meeting or we had a prayer meeting overnight. But I did it consistently every day. I will read and when it's like 11 to 12 and I had my corner. I will go there. If there's someone taking my corner, I will study the person very well. Like, Who is this person? Amen. Then I will look for somewhere else to go and pray. Hallelujah. So you will have to look for the times where you, where you are still optimal. Don't, don't um, you know, choose to read or meditate or study at those times when you are tired. You've gone about all your daily activities and you are bringing your tired self. Amen. Imagine, imagine even in a family, Mr. and Mrs. Ilesomi, that all the time you have for each other and for David is when you are tired and you are fagged out. You won't even enjoy marriage that way. Because you don't want your spouse always tired. And then the spouse is always coming to you. <sighs> I'm just tired. It takes the fun out of the home. But there are just times when, you know, you're very much awake. You're very much alert. You're just running around the house. Maybe doing pillow fights. Pouring water on each other. Playing with the child. Just running around. Yes, you still have energy. You still have strength. And you're reserving it for your family. The same way, don't bring your tired. Don't, I'm, I'm not saying you cannot do it when you are tired, but don't make that your routine. Because some people will say that, ah, Pastor, I said we should have a routine. So before I sleep every night, I'll just quickly read and pray. It will not work if you are leaving it to that time that you want to sleep. I believe we understand so that I will not overflog this issue. Hallelujah. So there's a need to build routine so that our life can have um, a flow. And we have to also build a routine that suits us. So I cannot, I cannot create a routine now and give it out to everybody here that everybody has to follow that routine. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to look into your own life and create a routine for yourself. Look at the things you have to do. Look at your free time 
and create a routine that works for you. Like I told, I told you, for me, night times are my best times. And the routines you create also, it might change from time to time. I'm not saying on a daily basis. You're, if, if, if what you are doing is changing every day, then it is not a routine. But I'm saying that from season to season, it might change. Take for example, when I was on campus, there was a routine I followed. By the time I left campus, you know for medical students, we're not always on campus. By the time we start our clinical work, we move to town. So by the time I left campus, I couldn't follow the same routine. I was following on campus. I told you on campus, I usually go out to pray sports complex around 11. I couldn't be doing that in town because it wasn't safe. You know, so what I began to do is I began to do it from 10 to 11. Hallelujah. I'll do it. I'll go to the front of, we're living in like a flat. So I'll just go to the front of, it was a fenced house. So I'll just go to the compound, pray 10 to 11 and I'll get back to my room and then go study. Amen. So your routines might change from time to time. So, um, you don't have to say, oh, okay, I, I, I used to be someone with a routine, but now I don't have a routine because my circumstances have changed. No. Take, for example, Sister Buki, you still be, you'll be changing locations soon. Your routine might have to change. You know, but the most important thing is that you still have to prioritize and, you know, you have to build a routine. Glory to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. There are certain routines we have in our physical life. And some of those routines are eating. We eat every day. Am I right? Except maybe um, you create a time where you personally want to take time to fast. We eat every day, right? At least regularly. We eat every day. We brush every day. Right? Or is there anybody you don't brush every day here? It's one of the negligibles. <laughs> we brush every day. <laughs> we bathe every day, right? Or let's even assume something happened because... It's not impossible. Something happened and you were not able to bait in a day. But you won't go three, four, five days without baiting. That would be an abnormal situation or condition. So there are certain routines we build. And why do we build these routines? Because we know that they are important. Amen. In certain cases, they are even life-saving. Take, for example, eating and drinking water. is life-saving. Amen. If you don't eat as a routine and drink water every day. There's going to be a problem. You're going to begin to have health challenges. We do that. And also baiting. There's a reason why we bait every day. You see the need for it and then you do it every day. Not just because, of course, it makes you look good when you bait. You're fresh. You smell good. You look good. But it's also important for your health. Because if consistently you're not baiting, you're going to come down with health issues too. So for our physical bodies, we do these things. How much more for our minds? And you know, during the retreat, we listen to a message, the washing of the water by the word. Amen. How much more? If you are cleansing your outer body eh, with soap and water every day, then you should also cleanse your soul with God's word on a daily basis. There should be a routine for it. Amen. The same way you are feeding this physical body, you are cleaning it. You are presenting it daily. The same thing you should do to your soul. A lot of time we're just ignorant about our souls. It's, it's almost like anything goes when it comes to our soul. But you must understand that you are a spirit. You possess a soul. You live in a body. The same way you take care of your body. See, God has taken care of your spirit. Amen. Your spirit is like Christ. You stand perfect before God. But you see that soul. The same, in fact, much more attention than you give to your physical body. You should give to your soul. 
because the, what you are doing to your soul will impact on your physical body that's why you see people that are sick in their soul sometimes they can't even take care of their physical bodies am I right? you see people that are depressed it's either they are not eating enough or they are eating too much am I right? You see people that are depressed, they don't take care of themselves, they don't dress well, they may not make their hair. People that are sick in the soul to maybe have one mental health challenge or the other. They need the support of their family members or other people around them to take care of their physical body. So your soul is very important. And that's why if you remember, John was writing, he says, I desire that your soul prospers. Your soul has to prosper. So you have to take care of your soul. And that's why the same way you have routines for your physical body, you have to have routines for your soul. Make sure your soul is daily undergoing a cleansing by God's word. Make sure your soul is being fed by God's word. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. No matter how busy we are, you know even if you didn't brush in the morning, even if you had to rush out, if you come back in the evening... (laughs) You want to brush. Or is there anybody that can go for three, four, five days without brushing? Just raise your hands. Ah, pastor. Like just three, four, five days, you can just go. So why do we go for so long without engaging in God's word? Without engaging in the place of prayer? How do we think we will survive? And that's why the soul of a lot of people is lean. The Bible says that those who are planted in the courts of our God will be fat and flourishing. Amen. Your soul should be fat and flourishing. Amen. And as we engage on this front, we create a routine for them. Our souls become fat and flourishing. So look into your life. What's the routine you need to build for yourself? Look into the activities that you're engaging on a daily basis and build routines that will make you grow in the faith. Routines that will establish you in the divine life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. Five minutes more. I will quickly round up now. Yeah, so um, I might not be able to read those scriptures because I have five minutes. But I'm sure we've come across scriptures that tells us, you know, severally that Jesus went out to pray in the morning. Have anybody come across scriptures like that? He woke up very early. He would go out maybe to a quiet place to go and pray. There are several scriptures like that. Amen. So we have to have a routine for ourselves. Even Jesus himself had a routine. In fact, when he stood up in the temple, you know, to read um, from the scriptures, the Bible says, as his manner was. Amen. As his manner was. So he had a manner of, or he had a habit of going to the synagogue. He had a habit of reading from the scriptures. So even Jesus, in the days of his flesh, He had routines that he did. He had things that he did. So we also should build routines for ourselves. So I just want to talk about the importance of building routines. The first thing is that it helps you form good habits and let go of bad habits. It will help you form good habits and let go of bad habits. I said something last week. I said what you do again and again, you develop appetites for it. And I asked... If I say, oh, after service, there will be ice cream and uh, maybe suya, you know, after the service. If you're interested, wait behind. How many people will wait behind? Aha, see, people are raising their hands. 
Amen. Why? Because you already have an appetite for such things. But if I'm telling you that after service, um, there's casserole, there's Mongolian sushi, you might just be wondering what's Pascal, what's your name, Mongolia, Georgia, law. Some people might even stay out of curiosity. But not because you have an appetite for it, but you just want to, what's even this Mongolian sushi that they are talking about? But I'm sure if it's something you know that you probably don't have appetite for, you will go. If I say, okay, maybe stay behind. Um, I've cut some cabbage that we can chew on before we go. We'll serve, you know, there'll be cabbage served. <laughs> there'll be cabbage served here. How many of you who wait behind to eat the cabbage? All right, eventually. Maybe she's a vegetarian. You know, because a lot of you don't have appetites for it. There's no mayonnaise. It's just, it's just cabbage. Fresh, green, healthy cabbage. <laughs> and crunchy too. You know, so a number of people may know it because they don't have appetite for it. So routine helps us develop habits. If something is going to be, um, be, become a habit, you have to set it in your routine. Now, okay, I'm going to do this daily. And then as you do it, you begin to develop more appetite for it. Hallelujah. You begin to develop more appetite for it as you do it. All right. Um, let me just say something before I go on to the next point. I'm rounding up already that you know, we watch a lot of superhero movies. And if you watch a lot of those superhero movies, you see that most of them acquire their powers overnight. I'm right now. Maybe something happened. Maybe they were just riding their bike. Then there was an explosion somewhere. Then they said there was a nuclear reaction. And maybe they became unconscious after. Then they just wake up. And they find out that, ah, they can now run very fast. They find out that they can fly. And sometimes if you are not careful in the Christian faith, you would think that's how the supernatural... The supernatural is not like that though. There is no time and it has not happened in history that you just sleep and then you wake up. You just see that, ah, I now have healing abilities. <laughs> if you have seen any believer like that, please, I need to meet that believer. Supernatural things don't... You see those things in movies. They are fantasies. The person just wakes up then, you know, he can fly, he can run very fast. What other superpowers do they have again? They, they can levitate, they have laser, laser beam. What again? Uh, spider web, something just happens. Maybe, I think that a spider beat him. Nothing is going to bite you over the night. <laughs> Nothing is going to bite you. You just wake up and find out that, ah! Hey, but you are the spiritual Jugunu or spiritual Van Damme. There's nothing like that. Amen. It's going to be a gradual, painstaking, you know, intentional, consistent, deliberate. What other word can I use? It has to be deliberate. It has to be daily. It has to be intentional. You know that this is what I'm doing. This is the course I've set for myself. And this is what I will achieve after doing this. So please don't ever be deceived that you just wake up and you're a different man. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I just want to talk about the reasons why we need to build routines. So I've said number one, that it helps us develop habits. Hallelujah. And habits become our appetites. Whatever you do, if you're someone that you begin to pray daily, you begin to spend one hour praying daily. The day you don't pray, there's a way you feel. Yeah, there's a way you feel. It's, for example, people that take breakfast often, the day they don't take breakfast, if they're in the lecture hall, they might not hear what the lecturer is saying. Yeah. As in there will be lack of attention. They might be sweating. They might just feel like all oh, their system. 
you know, it's dysfunctional until they eat. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> what you constantly do, you know, becomes your habits. All right. So the second thing it does, it, it helps us monitor our progress. And I believe it's in line with the analogy I gave. That you're not just going to wake up and you find out that, oh, you are now mature all of a sudden. You can now do everything. No. It's a gradual process. So by the time you build a routine, you are every day you are giving attention to the word. Every day you are engaging in the place of prayer. After like two, three weeks, you can look back. Is there a time like that when you spent a lot of time in the word and prayer? You know that, oh, I've grown. I have better knowledge of things. And it begins to impact on your character. It begins to impact on your behavior. It begins to impact on the things you are doing. You know, so when you have routines, it helps you monitor your progress. You can say, okay, this is what I have been doing and this is the result of what I have been doing. But if you don't have any routine, you can't, it's like someone wants to bake. Then the person pours powder in the um, flour, in the baking pan, pours butter, pours sugar. You, what, what, do you, what do you want to measure when you, when you put it in, in the oven? You, <laughs> something will come out. But will it be what you want? It will, it will never be cake. It seems to be something you'll be able to eat it. <laughs> you know, so routines help you, you know, keep focused. And it helps you monitor your progress. That this is what I've been doing and this is the outcome. Take for example, I was talking to someone about exercise. And I was telling the person, get a scale. So as you exercise, as you watch your diet, you can monitor your progress. You can look at it. Okay, last month I was weighing maybe 56 kg. And over the course of one month, I am now weighing this. Why are you checking? It's because there's something you've been doing. You can't just sit down. You are eating, drinking. You are lying down on your couch, eating popcorn, drinking ice cream, watching movies for one whole month. Then you carry the scale. <laughs> you will be shocked at what you see. <laughs> Amen. So it helps us monitor our progress. Then number three is that it makes your life more organized. It makes you focused and it makes you effective and productive. That's what routine does. It makes you organized, makes you focused, effective and productive. Hallelujah. Then number four, it helps you, sorry, I won't be able to because my time is up. I'm just quickly rounding up. It helps you develop a sense of confidence and satisfaction. I don't know if you've ever created a routine for yourself. And for me, I have my to-do lists. If you go through my tab, I have my notes there. I write out the things I want, to be, uh, I want to do. I write it out. And when I do it, I begin to tick. I've done this. I've done this. Especially if it's a lot. If it's not a lot, I might not have to tick. But I tick it. And there's, at the end of the day, there's this satisfaction that you have. There's this sense of fulfillment that you have that I set out to achieve these things today and I was able to achieve them. And it gives you, there's a confidence it gives you. Amen. I, I really don't know how it works, but there's a confidence it gives you. It gives you confidence for the next day. Amen. It's just like if, if you set out to do something and you achieve it, it's much easier for you to take something on. But if you, if you don't create anything, there, you don't have a goal, there's nothing you've, you said you want to do, there, you're not even thinking about confidence hallelujah so there's a confidence it gives you you know to keep doing those things because you are getting the desired result and then it gives you a sense of satisfaction and joy that you are making progress in the right direction hallelujah 
All right. So the last um, point, the first point was see the need. Second point was commitment. Third point was give due diligence. So everything I've talked about is under giving due diligence. That's prioritization, building routines, and why we need to build routines. It's under giving due diligence. Amen. Hallelujah. So the fourth thing I want to talk about is be tenacious and consistent. Amen. The truth is when you start out, the first week, you know, you might not be able to adhere to your routines every day because you are just learning. You are just starting out. Monday, you might do it. Tuesday, you might do it. Wednesday, you might find out something happened that destabilized you and you were not able to do it. The next two, three days, you might feel destabilized and you may not be able to adhere with whatever routine you've created. You know, but the most important thing is that you must not give up. Hallelujah. You must know that it is a journey. Hallelujah. It is a journey to a destination of consistency. Hallelujah. So you must not give up. Hallelujah. And there's something very important that I said, and I'm going to round up on this note, that when you make a commitment, God releases grace upon you. Hallelujah. We saw he did that for day and Daniel. He released favor upon Daniel when Daniel proposed in his heart. Hallelujah. So even in those difficult times, I said it last week too, that talk to God about it. Maybe you don't even feel like studying. You don't feel like praying. Maybe you just feel overwhelmed. Maybe because of circumstances or events around you. I said talk to God about it. Amen. Tell him as it, as, as it is. Hallelujah. And he will release his grace upon you. Because you are willing. You are ready. You've made a commitment to it. I just want us to see some scriptures before we close. I want us to see 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm closing with these scriptures that we're reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9 to 10. Paul here was um, having some challenges. Let me just read it. From verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet, to buffet me. <laughs> Is it buffet or buffet? <laughs> lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hallelujah. So you must remind yourself and you must be constantly aware and conscious of it that in your weakness, God's strength is perfected. Hallelujah. So at those times you don't feel like praying or you step out to go and pray and then you are feeling tired. Remind yourself that in my weakness, God's strength is perfected. Hallelujah. In my weakness, God's strength is perfected. When I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, sometimes when we have to pray for long hours here, one of the things, if I pray for long hours and I feel like I'm getting tired, I begin to remind myself of scriptures that say, um, they go from strength to strength as they appear before God in Zion. I begin to remind myself and it's like there's a fresh infusion of strength. I begin to remind myself that they who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Thank you, Father, because as I wait on you in your presence, as I stay in the place of prayer. I go from strength to strength. My strength is renewed in the name of Jesus. You must constantly remember that, that there is grace for you and his grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. Let's see 1 Corinthians 15 10. I'm closing with these scriptures. Please just write it down so that you can study them on your own. 1 Corinthians 15 10. 
Paul says here, but, but that, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Hallelujah. So the things you have to do, you don't necessarily have to do it just by your natural strength. Amen. There is grace that God makes available to you. You only need to say, Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am ready. Lord, I want to do it. Amen. Paul said, yet not I, but the grace of God. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He went through so many persecutions. He went through so much. He says, yet not I, but by the grace of God. Hallelujah. So labor fervently with the grace that God has bestowed upon you. Say, God has bestowed on me abundance of grace and I will labor with it in the name of Jesus. In fact, in the faith, when we are talking about work, you know, some people will say, I ah, know as believers, oh, yes, Jesus has died for you. The price has been paid. We are no longer under the law, but you still have to work. This is what the work is. The work is in meditation. The work is in prayers. The work is in confessions. That's where the labor of the believer is. Amen. Your labor is not in trying to get to God. You have been reconciled back to God. Amen. That is what Christ did. If you are still trying to get back to God, it means you don't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. The Bible clearly tells us that, that we have been reconciled back to him. We have been accepted in the beloved. There are several scriptures that show us that. So your labor is not in getting back to God. Hallelujah. Your labor is in the place of meditation. It's in the place of prayer. That is the work you have to do as a believer. Are you following me? So you stay there and you do it. You labor fervently. You don't labor for acceptance with God. No, you don't labor to become righteous. Amen. Let's see Ephesians 3, 7. Just write these scriptures down. We'll just quickly read them. Paul here was saying, well off, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me read it again. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. There's an effectual working of God's power on your inside. Hallelujah. In fact, Ephesians 1 tells us that there's a power that is at work towards us. So you are not alone. There's a power that is back of you. Amen. God's divine power is back of you. So you are not alone. You are not just trying in your own strength. And you know there's this song we like to sing. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we rely on his grace. We rely on his power that is at work within us. Philippians 2.13. It, it says, it is God that is at work within us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. So even if the willingness is not there, go to him. Say, God, I have been taught. I know that this is what I should be doing. Help me, God. Create in me the willingness. Create in me the desire. 
Hallelujah. Because it is he that is at work in you. Both to will and to transform your will. Amen. He can help you if you are willing and you are open. Lord, help my will. Help my will, Lord. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. I just want us to rise up on our feet. I believe you've learned something here today. I want us to say thank you, Father, for your word that has come to me. Lebredosh kabarian sute libranas televena kadish te feteske lembo sute. Sana manakobradish tevranda mandoka riista fred.